Well, thanks for having me guys in the bridge. I'm excited to be here. It's been a while since I've been in the bridge, but it's good to be here. I, um, I want to tell you about a traumatic experience that we actually went through together. I don't know if you remember this, but um, we went through a traumatic experience together. You and me, the whole world, in 2015, in March of the year 2015. You were probably in high school. You might have been in junior high. But we went through a traumatic experience together, and that is on March 25th, 2015, um, Zane left One Direction. You remember that? Did you die? Traumatic? Just for the girls in the front, I guess. Not for you guys in the... It wasn't traumatic, okay. Well, um, I looked it up this week, which is a little odd, but I looked up this week why he left the band. I never really got the answers. I was in high school at the time. I didn't really care, so it wasn't traumatic for me, but maybe for you. Uh, But I looked up this week why Zane left the band. You know why Zane left One Direction? I have a quote for you. This is a real quote. Check it out. Zane said, I would like to apologize to all my fans if I've left anyone down, which that's a few people. He let some people down. But I have to do... Hold on, I got to read this. But I have to do what feels right in my heart. That's why Zane left One Direction. That's it. That's all you get. If you went to the world tours, they had four albums, four world tours. I read this week they had 200 music awards. My, my search history this week is weird. I got a lot of One Direction things that I looked up this week. But they had so much success in them. I was thinking there's so much to keep them together. Think about all they had to keep together, all the money they could have made together, all the things that they could have done together, and all these reasons why they should have stayed together, but they broke apart. Why did they break apart? Because Zane said he had to follow his heart, okay? Well, you might not feel like Zane in any way ever, um, I want to tell you that we have a similar temptation when it comes to our relationships with one another. Uh, when we follow our hearts, sometimes that does break us apart. And we're going to look at a text tonight, and I'm excited to be here talking about the book of 1 Corinthians. And this text talks about when people break apart. And now, I don't know about your group, and I have no diagnosis for you. Obviously, I'm a guest preacher just coming in. Um, But even if this group, the bridge, and even our church, even if it's not broken apart into a bunch of different factions like the Corinthian church was, there is some things we can learn about sticking together from this text. There is some things that are really preventative measures that we can take against breaking up as a church. So I want you to grab a Bible and look at 1 Corinthians chapter 1. So that's what we're going to do tonight. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 10 to 17. Only a few things here. But what I want to look at is what we can do to prevent the problems they had then. This Corinthian church, you might know something about this book. This book is full of rebukes, really. The book of 1 Corinthians is full of rebukes. We've got Paul saying to these Corinthians, you're full of a ton of sin. And the main sin that he is tackling here at the beginning of the book is the sin of divisions. So in this church, there were different groups of people in the church that were broken up along these lines. I have a preference for this teacher. And I have a preference for a different teacher. And the first couple chapters of 1 Corinthians, that's what Paul is addressing. And it's interesting because Paul is actually one of those preachers that some of the people in the congregation preferred. But instead of coming along and saying, hey, you guys who are rooting for me, you guys have it going on. But all the other groups, you're wrong. He says, no, this church needs to unite. And I need you to get yourself in the context of the book of 1 Corinthians. I know it might be a foreign book to some of you, but this is a local congregation. This is a local church that's receiving this letter. And when he says there's divisions in the local church, he says it's not a good thing because these divisions were caused by pride. They were caused by selfishness. They were caused by a ton of different things. So check out chapter one, verse 10. Look what he says to them. He says, I appeal to you. I I urge you. I command you, please, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. He cannot say this any more strongly. 
that all of you agree. It says, this church has problems and it's broken up. I hope that your group here in the bridge, as a subsection of our church, is not full of divisions. I hope your small group is doing well. I hope that your friend group is doing well. I hope that our church as a whole is doing well, and I think it is. So don't take this as the sermon that Pastor PJ told me to preach. Um, That wasn't it. This is not a diagnostic thing. If anything, this is a preventative thing. We don't want this to happen to us. We don't want this to happen to Compass Bible Church, that it breaks up so far in all these different groups based on their sinful um, preferences. Now, I want you all to agree. Um, There's no word um, in this text that says agree. Okay, so when we translate this, it's actually a phrase that we get the word agree from. The literal rendition is, I urge you to say the same thing. That's what we get the word agree from. I want you to say the same thing. Be on the same page is what he's saying. What he's not saying is every single person in the church needs to be a cookie cutter version of the next person. Okay? Maybe you've heard that sermon preached, that we all have to be exactly the same as each other. That's not what he's saying. What he's saying is all the different kinds of people in this church, we need to get on the same page here. We need to agree. Look what he says next. And that there be no divisions among you. That's the word that we get schisms. There's no breaks in in this congregation based on your sinful um, tendencies. It says, but that you all be united in the same mind and the same judgment. We see that phrase same mind a lot when Paul writes. You might know Philippians chapter two, he says the same thing. He says, I want you to be of the same mind. And the only way to get there is through being humble enough to put other people's preferences before your preferences. But look what they did says, it was reported to me by Chloe's people that there's quarreling among you, my brothers. What I mean is that each one of you says, I follow Paul, or I follow Apollos, or I follow Cephas. That's another word for Peter. Or the spiritual group here, you might, have, you might fall into this group. I follow Christ, right? You think of the four groups, he'd say, guys, we're all followers of Christ, right? So let's all just follow Christ. Well, something interesting, he says, he rebukes all of them for this. I don't think he's saying it's wrong that they were following Christ, but it was certainly wrong for them to make one group in a schism to say, oh, we're the only ones that follow Christ over here. You guys know you follow Peter, Apollos, Cephas, whatever. He says, rebuking all of them, he says, is Christ divided? Is Christ divided? No. Was Paul crucified for you? Answer is no. Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? Answer is no. And I know that there's a tendency when you have a good leader like all these guys, which by the way, Apollos did not do anything wrong here. Paul did not do anything wrong here. Cephas, Peter, he did not do anything wrong here to cause this. Certainly Christ did not do anything wrong here to cause this problem. This problem was with their reception of teachers, elevating some so far above the others that that was the only person they would listen to. So he says, don't do that. Don't put any of us on a pedestal because I wasn't baptized for you. He says, I thank God that I baptized none of you. You don't want Pastor PJ coming in and saying that to you. He says, I'm so ashamed of you that I'm, I'm just glad I didn't baptize any of you. And wow, why did he say that? Well, he said that because they were, again, forming groups around different leadership styles and different preferences that they had. And he says, if I did that, think about the division that would have caused. If I baptized these six people in the room, but no one else, they would be the, the baptized by Paul group. He says, I'm glad I didn't baptize any of you. Well, except I did baptize a few people, except Crispus and Gaius, um, so that none of you may say you were baptized in my name. I did baptize also the house of, household of Stephanus. Beyond that, I don't know the, whether I baptized anyone else, which is funny. Paul's just like, yeah, I, I don't know. Uh, I, think, I, I think I didn't baptize. No, that's it. That's all I baptized. Right? <laughs> Why does he say this? He says, for Christ did not send me to baptize. Right? Which again, what's wrong with baptizing? Nothing. 
So he's not saying it's bad. He's just saying Christ did not call me to baptize because baptism for these people meant turning themselves into a bunch of different groups. So they didn't come to divide you. Actually, what I did was I came to preach the gospel and not with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. And that leads on to everything that 1 Corinthians 1 and 2 has to say about our presentation of the gospel. But I want us to land on this. And even if this is just a preventative sermon, if this keeps you from getting into trouble later down the road, I want you to think about how you can be united, not just person to person, not just you and your small group, not just you and the bridge. What I want you to be thinking about is you and your local church, okay? That's what we're talking about because that's what this text is talking about. There are other passages that we will look at tonight, which talk about how we can relate to each other person to person. That's not what this text is saying. This text is saying you need to come alongside other people in your local church and unite. That's the context here. It has implications far beyond that, but that's the main thing I want to focus on tonight. And I think this is an appropriate sermon for this group because I know there's a lot of different people here. It was cool to come tonight because I don't know a lot of you, and that's awesome. I'm glad I don't know a lot of you. Not like Paul's glad he didn't baptize any of you. I'm just saying, I'm glad there's a bunch of new people, right? (laughs) Don't get those mixed up, right? But it's great that I don't know a lot of you because that means a lot of people have come to the bridge and are new since I left the bridge two years ago. Like, it's awesome. But as a church, are we willing to be united? And are we attached to a church? Because that's really Paul's like presupposition with this text is that you are attached to the church because that's what these people are. Like all of them, even the ones that are sinfully causing groups within the church, guess what? They're still attached to the church. So that's the audience that listens to this. So I want us to not move past that so fast that we think, oh, well, yeah, we're all like them. Well, we might not all be like them. We might not all be attached to a local church. So I want us to write this down for point number one, if you would. Attach yourself to your church. Attach yourself to your church. We're going to talk about what that means, but I want you to think with this diagnostic question, am I attached to my local church? Would my friends say, yes, that person, oh yeah, they are attached to their local church. I know a lot of you go off to college and you're at different churches and your circumstances kind of say that, but even think about this, when you talk to people that you go to college with, is one of the things they say about you, oh yeah, that person, they love, they love their local church back home. They're, to- they're connected to their local church. And here, right, if you're a person who does go away, um, do your friends here say, oh, you love your local church when you go to college? Oh, yeah, they love, they love their local church. Right? If that's not the case, I really want to urge you strongly, you need to get connected to your local church. You need to attach yourself. And that's, that's a word I, I chose on purpose because I want you to think about what 1 Corinthians 12 says. Okay? If you know 1 Corinthians 12, comes later in this book, what it says is we are members of a body. And he says you guys are members of one body. And I think in that text, he's not just talking about the church universal, right? Which means everyone who's saved anywhere. He says, you guys, particularly this one congregation, you're like a body too, right? It's like, there's this big body and then you're like your own body. And I want you to be attached and feel like, yeah, I'm a member of this body. I'm attached to this body. I want to think about what that looks like. There's four things, um, just kind of a brief summary of all that the New Testament teaches right now um, about what it means to be attached to your church. So uh, I want us to start writing these down. The first one is this. Um, if you're attached to your church, one thing that you're doing is you're attending your church. And more than that, this text tells us two things. Not only do we attend the church, but we also are developing and building relationships with our local church. And even before we go further, 
I know that maybe some of you don't go to this church, Compass Bible Church, as your local church, and that's fine as long as you are connected to that church, right? So for most of you, if I had to say, hey, what's, what's your local church? You'd say, Compass, right? That's great. Well, then attach here. If I asked you that question and you said a different church, great. Then I want you to attach there. That's, that's what we're applying in point number one. How can we attach to our local church? Now, Hebrews 10, talked a lot about it, but we haven't talked about what it says. It says this, and let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works. And you might say, well, don't need a church for that, right? You don't. You don't need a church for that. Oh, but verse 25, oh, I need a church for that. Not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near, which is an interesting thing to think through for yourself. Am I attaching more to my church, or am I taking steps back from my church? And this is what happens a lot when people come from good youth ministries and good high school ministries. What happens a lot is I'm attached there, but now that I'm in college, I'm taking, oh, I'm taking a couple steps back. I don't know if I should be attached to that church anymore, right? And again, if you find another church and you attach there, great, do that. But if you're going to say, this is, our, this is our church, I'm staying here. Maybe you just graduated. Maybe you're um, figuring out where to go to church, right? Well, then if this is the answer, if Compass is your answer, and that's the church you're going to connect to, draw even closer as you see the day drawing near. Meet together more often. Right? And the main outlet for you is this group. It, it, it is the bridge, people um, that are in the bridge. But it also means that you're attending the main service. It also means that you're going to church, right? I hope Pastor PJ has told you this. If he's not told you this, I'll tell you this now, right? The bridge is not your church, right? When people ask you, hey, what's my local church? Oh, I go to the bridge, right? No, the bridge church, that's actually a different church, I think, that's local. Um, you get people confused, right? No, um, you don't go to the bridge, right? Hopefully you do go to the bridge, sorry. You don't go to the bridge as your local church. If you go to this church, it's you go to Compass Bible Church as your local church. Now you have to specify, you have to say Aliso Viejo, because now there's more, right? But that's, that's my local church. So are you attending that church? Are you going to that church? Are you showing up on time? You come into the nine o'clock service. You come into the 11 o'clock service. You come into the 5 p.m. service on Saturday night. Is that a commitment for you? All the more or just whenever I have time? Because if we're gonna hold off all these divisions, this is the first step is being here, being here often. Show up to church on time. Talk to old people, you know? You ever go to church and you're like, I don't know who that person is. Go talk to the old people. They like you. Um, well, maybe not if you don't talk to them, but you just go talk to old people sometime. I know that might sound like, how, how, what does that have to do with anything you're saying? Well, as you come to church and as you connect, I think that is part of developing those relationships because I think it's good to start here, right? Start here with your small group. That's the tightest relationships, but start to even expand beyond that. Start talking to people who you don't know. Start talking to people that you might not even, you know, like to be around. I don't know. Um, I don't know what I was thinking, but you know what I mean. Like, if you go to church, you're like, oh, I don't want to talk to anybody. I don't know anybody. Well, go talk to them. That's a good start in saying, okay, I want to be more connected to the whole church, not just a part of the church. Now, second thing that New Testament says about being connected to a church is this, submitting to pastoral leadership and teaching. And obviously, this is connected. Just a, just a warning. All four of these things that we're going to give are all connected. And if you do three out of the four, you're going to struggle with the three that you do. If you do two out of four, you'll struggle to do the two that you're still doing. But if you do all four of the four, it's going to help you do all four of the four. It's kind of a package deal doing these. Hebrews 13 says, obey your leaders and submit to them. This is the 
passage I get to preach when I'm not the pastor over this particular part of the church because I can say, listen to me. No, listen to Pastor PJ, right? Listen to Pastor PJ. Obey him, right? Submit to him in whatever form that looks like. Um, and also not just him, but also the other pastors, the senior pastor, Pastor Mike. If that's your pastor, if this is your church, that's your pastor, submit to him. Listen to him. It says, for they're keeping watch over your souls. I want you to think about the responsibility that those men have over your soul. When they stand before the beam of seat of Christ, what account are they going to give for you, right? They have a responsibility. So if that's true, and if you're attached to our local church, that's true, it says then do that in a way that gives them joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you, right? Making Pastor PJ mad is no advantage to you, is it, right? It's no advantage, right? Being a problem for, you know, any leader that you have, whether it's at church or anywhere else, right? You learned this when you were in high school, right? Just don't make mom and dad mad. If I just don't make mom and dad mad, everything's cool, right? Maybe they're mad all the time. I don't know, but whatever. But you could avoid a lot of problems by not making the leader over you mad, right? By, by being a, a person that is good for the group. They like that, right? Whether you work at Chick-fil-A like Lewis, right? He doesn't want to make his shift leader mad by not saying my pleasure, right? He says it so much, it just comes out, just like Chick-fil-A sauce, it just oozes out. Like, just, I'll, I'll sometimes say, oh, thanks. like, my pleasure. It's like, dude, stop. <laughs> whatever, anyway. But whatever your relationship is, right? You do yourself a favor by being the person that they're proud to be on that team, right? Same thing's true with the church. What does that look like? Well, it looks like 1 Corinthians 1, 10, which says, be willing to come underneath the leadership and agree, right? There's an interesting problem that I think we have with this particular one. Obviously, the world doesn't like submission. Maybe you don't prefer it either. Um, but there's also a unique thing that we have today that makes this harder than it would have been for you 500 years ago. Okay. Here's one of those things. You get to pick your church. Okay. You get to pick your leaders. Think about that. It's very democratic, right? You get to pick to, I can go to this church or I can go to this church. Okay. Why does that make this hard? Because sometimes in our minds we think, well, if I can pick them and choose to leave, that means I don't have to listen to them. Who wants to get married in here? No? Wow. Okay. Well, see you in alliance. Um, <laughs> come on over, baby. <laughs> I'm the pastor of alliance. So if you don't, that's where you go. <laughs> if you don't make it out of here alive. Um, no, alliance is awesome. I love alliance. But maybe I can be motivation for you to get married. I don't want to go to his ministry. Um, Okay, so you want to get married. Let's just go with that, right? Um, so, ladies, do you get to pick your husband? Yes. How many of your dads are trading camels? Like, no, you get to pick your husband. What are you talking about? You thought that was a rhetorical question. I, I'll excuse you. Okay, um, you get to pick your husband. Okay, question, okay. Um, so once you pick your husband and you have your ceremony and you have your dress that costs too much and the cake that's worthless and um, after you do all that stuff, right? Um, do you get to say to that husband of yours one day, yeah, I, I chose you. That means I can choose not to listen to you, right? No, none of you think that, right? Well, maybe some of you think that, but that's not the right answer, right? Just because you chose them doesn't mean that you can choose 
not to listen to them or work with them or even submit to them, as the Bible said. You're stuck, right? You're, you're there. That's, that's it. And that's a good thing. That's, a, that's one of the best things about marriage. You are stuck. That's a great thing, okay? Because they can't leave you, right? It's great. But what's my point? Sometimes we don't think the same way about church. We think, well, I can choose to be here or I can choose to leave. All right, and I know you might say, problem with the analogy is I'm not married to my church. Correct. But for as long as you're here, I want you to think about it that way. I do want you to think I'm loyal to my church. I will, I'm going to listen to my pastors. Is there a time and a place to leave? Absolutely. One of them is the thing that you guys do a lot is move to college, right? Then I guess you're not here, okay? But as you're here, I want you to think about that marriage analogy. If I'm here, I'm here. But if I'm going to go somewhere else, be all there. And that's fine. If you want to not end up at this church one day, right? And probably most of us in this room will not be at this church in 30 years, okay? That's fine. That doesn't mean you got divorced from your church. But I hope you're married to some local congregation in 30 years. Because if not, that would be a lot like a divorce. Saying I'm not going to prioritize God's church. So, third thing New Testament talks about being attached to our church is this. Giving financially to the work of the church. Giving from our money, right? Which again, that's a bigger price tag for you maybe than some of the other things. Maybe you're fine giving your time. Maybe you're fine um, giving your loyalty and your, you know, direction of your life. Okay, I'll listen to these pastors teach and I'll submit myself to what they say, obviously to the Bible first, but, but this part, this part's a little hard, okay? Do you see how what I said at the beginning, that if you do all of these, they complement one another, but if you take out one part, you're going to end up taking out the others at some point? Giving financially to the church. Here's what Galatians 6, 6 says, that let the one who is taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. So um, if you're taught to the word at our church, which again, if you're going to main service, you are being taught the word every week. If you go to the bridge every week, you're being taught the word here, right? Pastor PJ is going to take seven years to go through the book of Hebrews, right? It's all the only book you're going to know by the time you're done with the bridge, right? It's fine. I'm guilty of similar things, but I'm doing first Corinthians in, um, in Alliance and the plan is to do it for like four years. So, um, I'm just as guilty, so sorry. But as long as you're being taught the word in a particular place, the way you apply this New Testament command is share all good things. What is that? That's talking about money. That's talking about giving financially from what God has given to you. Which again, if we think about our money in that way, that's a very helpful. Okay, it's not even my money to begin with. It's God's money that I'm just a steward of that I'm gonna give in a way that he says I should do. And this is one of the things. One of the things that gets overlooked and again, um, I know this is the bridge, the college ministry. Maybe you're unemployed. Maybe you're in between jobs, whatever. But as hopefully many of you learned when you were a little kid, if God gives to you, you need to give to God because it's God's money anyway. So that's the third thing. Fourth thing, if we're going to attach ourselves to our church is this, serving the church practically, okay? Practically coming in and serving the church, using your hands, using your feet, using your voice to do something for the edification of the church, Peter put it like this, 1 Peter 4, 10 to 11. As each has received a gift, right, from who? Who? Who gives the gift? As each has received a gift from God, that's what the implication is, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. There's so much of that word steward. Right? That's a good word to do a Bible word study on if, you're, if you don't have anything to do this week. Um, study the word steward. Look at how the Bible talks about how we're stewards of so many things that God gives us. It says, as God's stewards of his very grace. Let's do this. Verse 11, speak. And if you're speaking, speak as one who speaks the oracles of God. Use it seriously. Don't, don't 
Use it sometimes. No, use that gift. Whoever serves as one who serves through the strength that God supplies. In order that in everything, in everything, God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. Because the reality is, the end of this verse, to him belong all glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Everything belongs to God. Everything you have, every talent you have, every relationship you have, every dollar you have, all of it belongs to God. So use it to serve your local body. Obviously, you're going to use your dollars and your generosity to serve other Christians, right? You're going to go out to meals with them. You're going to pay for their Taco Bell, and then they're going to spot you urban plates next week and all this stuff, right? That's fine, but the, the command is, okay, I want to give it and serve the local church. Do you see how all four of those things in your paper, if you take out one of those, the other ones become harder to do. If you stopped attending every week, guess what you're going to be less likely to do? Probably less likely to serve, probably less likely to give, probably less likely to submit to the pastoral leadership because you're not there, right? Okay, take out the second one. I'm not submitting to pastoral leadership. Well, probably not going to show up every week anymore, right? Probably not going to give because they're the ones that do the stuff with the money, right? Probably not going to serve because I don't want to serve that church, right? Take out the money, right? I attend, I submit, yeah, kind of, but my money's not attached to it. Yeah, I serve sometimes if I want to, right? You see how all these are interrelated to one another and to prevent the schisms and the factions and the division for these things. They're super necessary for all of us. So what does serving in the church look like for you? It might look like serving this sub-congregation in some ways by setting up the food or whatever you guys do. I don't know what you do um, to serve in the bridge. That's huge. Serving in the kids' ministry, serving in Awana, serving in the edge with Nathan. Whatever you're going to do, serve the church. Give yourself to do something. Even if you don't know what to do, Talk to somebody, right? Talk to me, I guess. I could probably find something for you. Talk about parking ministry. You guys see the weekend announcements this weekend? What we say? Parking ministry, right? You guys who say, oh, I don't want to work the kids. Like, I'm too cool. Right, cool. You are too cool. Don't work with the kids, guys. Um, I actually think they, not, they won't let you. Um, isn't there like a, Nathan, isn't there like a, you have to be a certain gender? No? Okay. Um, so there's only two of those. So uh, I guess you got to be a girl. There's some rules about that. Whatever. Um, you know what I'm talking, maybe it's just the little kids. I don't know. So, sorry. Back up, back up. Um, if you're a guy, you don't know where to serve. Parking ministry, be super helpful. You can be a person that's directing traffic. You can be cool, super cool. Get one of those vests. It'd be awesome, right? Serve the church. Even if you're here for a little bit, serve the church. If you can do the fix-it ministry, serve the church. If you can help with the nursery, serve the church. Be a part of it. Now, I read a study this week that said you can only really have five friends. Do you believe that's true? I think some of you have more than five friends. Uh, I don't know. Well, I started thinking about it. I'm like, yeah, we have a lot of friends, right? You have a thousand friends on Facebook um, from junior high and high school and college, and none of them are real, right? Some of them. Um, you used to be acquaintances, right? Um, well, what I want you to think about when you also think about attaching yourself to the church is let's make some of those closest connections here. That would be super helpful. And I know you've got connections with your parents and connections maybe with people that live in different parts of the country, and that's great, okay? And I'm not saying to get rid of those connections. Maybe those are the connections you need to keep. But if you want to attach yourself to the church, one of the best ways to do that beyond this, really this is more pertaining to letter A, is I want my key relationships to be in this local congregation. Do you hear what I didn't say? I didn't say, get rid of all your friends that don't go to the church, right? I did not say that. What I said was, try to start to build some friends that are your closest people here. It's huge, huge to keep you connected to this church. Now, back to the passage. I want to look at this passage real quick. If you can check out verse 10 again. 
1 Corinthians 1.10 says, I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all agree. Now, we talked about why they weren't agreeing. The reason was because they were setting up leaders and making groups underneath the leaders. The church wasn't in a stage where if you just asked them, oh, who's your favorite Bible teacher? They said, oh, mine's John MacArthur. Oh, mine's John Piper. That was not the problem. They had one small group in the church that only listened to desiring God and the other small group that only listened to grace to you. Then the Ligonier guys over here. Um, that's, I can only think of three right now. Sorry. Um, but whatever, right? That's what they were doing. They say, no, we're not going to, we're going to submit to them. We're going to listen to them, right? They, they almost like outsized their, their influence. Where, where are the pastors in the church? Where, where, like pastors are not here. These are like former away teachers, which by the way, is why it's a lot easier to listen to people who are a hundred years dead or a hundred miles away. Okay. So that's a different sermon. But what we see here is they took their preferences and made them paramount. They took their preferences and made them the most important thing. Instead of saying, I will put my preferences and bring them down here, and I want to put church unity up here, they took their preferences and elevated them above church unity. Okay? There's another word for that. You learned it when you were a little kid. It's the word selfishness. Okay? Selfishness. That's why there was divisions in this church. Pride and selfishness, and they go together. Point number two is this. I'd love for you to write this down. Check your selfishness to settle disunity. And you might be thinking, yeah, there are situations we're not united. There are situations where I do have disunity. Okay, let's check this first. It's the first sign that we can check, whether it's diagnostic, right? Figuring out a problem we have now, or preventative, keeping a problem from going away. Selfishness, I think, is at the root of a lot of this. The Bible talks about why people get in fights. Why Conor McGregor breaks his leg backwards you guys see that? My wife saw that on Instagram and one of our old junior high students posted it. And she was like, no, Diego, why'd you post that? You know what I'm talking about? Not those kind of fights, but these kind of fights. Okay, James chapter four, verse one and two. What causes fights? What causes quarrels in this church? What causes quarrels in any church? What causes quarrels, which again, remember James, who's James writing to? The elect exiles. Probably the first book in the New Testament ever written. Right? This is like soon after Jesus is off the scene. James, the brother of Jesus, is saying this. What causes fights in that group? When they're all spread out, you'd think they're just having a good time because they're all persecuted and that must mean there's no problems in the church. No. What causes fights? What causes quarrels? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? It's your desires. What causes problems between you and people that are in your small group? Really break it down. If you thought, okay, yeah, there's some beef. Yeah, there's some problems. What causes those problems? At the core of it, the Bible says it's our passions, our desires that are at war within us. You desire and you don't have. And what do people do when they have unmet desires? The height of it is they murder. You want something, you can't have it, you kill. You might say, well, that's, that's too much. Well, you covet, which means, remember, seeing something you don't have saying, I want that. I don't want them to have that, whatever it is. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel, right? That's the root. You do not have because you do not ask, which I think is a reference to prayer here. I think he's saying part of the problem is you, you don't have because you don't ask. And then the next verse says, and you ask and you don't get it because you ask wrongly because you want to spend all those things on your passions. What does it go back to? The problem is our passions, our desires that are at war within us. And oftentimes, if you were honest about it, we bring them out and we start shooting our passions at other people. That's 
main cause of disunity mostly. Well, what does the New Testament say about this? Philippians chapter 2. What are we supposed to do to those desires? What are we supposed to do to that? Well, if there's any encouragement in Christ, which there is, if there's any comfort from love, which if you're a Christian, you know that there is, if there's any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, same phrase used here in Philippians 2, but it's also used in 1 Corinthians 1. Be of the same mind, having the same love, and being in full accord and of one mind. Now, the famous verses, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. How do, how do you stay of one mind? How do you really unite with your, your church? Or just even break it down to a smaller group. Any relationship with you have, how do you stay of one mind? Okay, do nothing, nothing, not a word, not a motive, not an activity. Do nothing from selfish ambition or, dis, or conceit, that pride that says, I want to be better than you. Do nothing from that. But in humility, count others more significant than yourself. Say, if they want to go there, that's where we're going. If their desire is that, unless we're talking about something sinful, of course, the Bible gives us many directions on that. But if what we're talking about are preferences, which is the whole point in 1 Corinthians 1, was Peter a false teacher? Was Apollos a false teacher? Was Paul a false teacher? No, all of them were good teachers. What, why were they elevating them? Because of preferences. And we all have them. And it's not wrong to have preferences. What's wrong is taking those preferences, fueling them up with our selfishness, and driving them into each other and going to war with each other over that. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. He goes on to talk about how Christ had that when he came to earth for you. Aren't you glad Jesus did not display any selfishness? Jesus had no selfishness in him. Right? Just imagine it. I know it's crazy, but what would a selfish Jesus do? They don't make that on the wristbands, right? But what would a selfish Jesus do? Would not go to the cross, right? Definitely not. He wouldn't hang out with those apostles because they were kind of losers sometimes. They turned into great men. No insult, sorry. Um, but Jesus, if he was selfish, would not hang out with them. Right? What room did Jesus walk into where he had an equal and he had a peer? No, he was always the leader. He was always so far above them at all times, right? So what would a selfish Jesus do? Well, none of the things that Jesus did, right? Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. That is the mind of Christ when he hangs out with people, when he does things for people, when he came to earth. First Corinthians goes on. First Corinthians 6, 7, and 8 talks about this. This is one of the causes of disunity in the church in Corinth. I hope it's not here. They were going to court against each other. Right? And if you know this book, you might say, oh, court looked different. I know it did, but still, they went to court against each other. They brought a non-Christian in to settle a matter between Christian and Christian. They said, we can't figure it out on our own, so you know what I'll do? We'll get the non-Christians to come in and settle it for us. Okay? Paul says, to have lawsuits at all with one another is already a defeat for you. Who's you? Okay? The individual? Not the individual. They can get a lot of money. Who's you? It's the church. Okay? They find out that this guy from Compass hates this guy from Compass. Guess what? That's a defeat for your church. It's a defeat for you. Right? And notice how I just took lawsuits and just made it hate. Right? But still, same thing. If you got fights, it's already a loss for you. Why not rather suffer wrong? Okay? If, if we could all memorize that verse, why not rather suffer wrong? That would change everything about the way we treat one another. Why not suffer wrong? It's a verse you have to remember when you are wronged. Why I'd rather suffer wrong than turn this into a big fight that will divide people. I'd, I'd rather suffer wrong. I'd rather be the one who's misunderstood. I'd rather be the one 
who doesn't get the last word in? Because I'd, I'd rather suffer wrong. Why not rather be defrauded? Right? People losing money. Think about that. Losing substantial amounts of money. Right? What does $20,000 mean to you? Right? What does $100,000 mean to you? Right? Probably a lot. Right? Definitely can't buy that car anymore, right? So, that means a lot. I don't know what it was to them at that point, but being defrauded, I don't just gloss over that and say, oh, well, it just means like lose a couple bucks. No, these were big things. These are lawsuits. We don't know how much they were for, but still, why not rather be defrauded? Because what are the options here? Be defrauded and avoid the fight and avoid your, your church looking bad in the eyes of the civil authorities or try to get your money back, but guarantee that your church will look bad. What's worth more to you? And Paul talks about it like it's an obvious thing. It's not an obvious thing for us. Why not rather be wrong? Why not rather be defrauded? But you yourselves wrong and defraud even your own brothers. It's a problem. I don't know if it's a problem in this group, but I do want you to prevent this from becoming a problem in this group. I want us to turn to another passage. Let's look at Ephesians chapter four. This is now moving a little bit closer to home. It's moving from the the church-wide to the person-to-person. What does... Paul say to this church about why there are problems. We looked at that with James. Now he goes even further. Talks about disunity problems. Let's look at this together. Ephesians chapter four. I'd love for you to turn there. Use a device. Find it. Ephesians 4.25 says, therefore, which comes after he said, put off the old self and put on the new self, which is being renewed. Put off those deceitful desires. Put, put off all that stuff because you're a Christian now, right? You're in Christ now, right? Okay, put all that old stuff away. Now, therefore, having put away falsehood, which again, let's take a mirror, look at our lives. Have I put away falsehood in the way I talk to other people? Deceit. Trying to make people believe something about me that's not true. Exaggeration. Or just bold-faced lies. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Think about that. This is, okay, the arm lies to the brain. You're paralyzed, right? Okay, your foot lies to your other foot. Then you just can't dance, right? I don't know, right? But what, these body parts not telling the truth to one another, that's, that seems odd, right? He says, don't do that because you're, you're members of one body, this local church. Be angry and do not sin. Don't let the sun go down on your anger and don't give an opportunity to the devil. Okay? These are talking about person-to-person problems and he's saying, look, if you want to avoid an opportunity for Satan to further divide that congregation or this congregation, okay, don't even let the sun go down on your anger. You got personal problems with people? Fix it. Go to them. Fix it. Matthew 5 talks about confessing your sin to people before you even walk in the, the church building, so to speak. Don't let the sun go down in your anger. Let the thief no longer steal, but let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. You see how these are all contrasts, right? What's the difference between stealing and giving, right? Well, there's a lot in between that, but those are opposites. Stealing, defrauding, and giving generously. That's a whole different person. That's because Ephesians 4 earlier says, you're a new person now. If you're in Christ, you're not like your old self. You're you're like your new self. Put on the new self. Verse 29, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. That might be the most stinging one of the bunch because you might say, I don't steal from anybody. I don't lie to people. 
I not really lie. I mean, I might exaggerate. I might, you know, not tell them the full truth. But I, I mean, I don't lie like that. Okay, well, corrupting talk coming out of your mouth or talks that give grace to those who hear. The bottom line in verse 30 is don't grieve the Holy Spirit of God by which you were sealed for the day of redemption. Now, as this verse is, I want you to flip it on its head. What would grieve the Holy Spirit of God in this context? What is it? Is it murder? Is it when you do something really bad that nobody knows about, right? I think those things would, but what is this text saying? What grieves the Holy Spirit when the church doesn't get along? What grieves the Holy Spirit when there's problems between two Christians? Which again, think about it. They have the Spirit. You have the Spirit. Fighting grieves the Holy Spirit. By whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Verse 31 and 32 are two different lists. Look at this. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you. Throw it away. Along with all malice. Be kind to one another. Tenderhearted. Forgiving one another. As God in Christ forgave you. Opposites in this text. That's why if we're going to prevent disunity, one of the things we do have to do is think, okay, what ways am I selfish now? If we look at that list, how am I manifesting these things? Maybe it's not even a problem with other church members yet. Maybe it's not even gotten to that place. But if I let those desires, which are at war within me, I let them keep going, they're going to cause a problem. They are going to cause disunity at some point. Romans chapter 16, verse 17 it's interesting because you might think, okay, well, isn't there a time to disassociate? Absolutely. If you know your Bible, Psalm 1-1 talks about people you shouldn't hang out with, okay? Don't hang out with the wicked. Don't sit in the seat of scoffers. Don't make your company those people. Right? A million proverbs about that. Romans 16 says, I appeal to you, again, same language, that you watch out for those who cause divisions and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you've been taught. Doctrine, okay? I want to talk about that for just a minute because you might be thinking, he hasn't talked about doctrinal differences. Is there a time and place to break fellowship, right? That might be the technical way you put it. You probably wouldn't call it that, but is there a time to break up, so to speak, groups or even split churches over doctrine? The answer is absolutely. Absolutely there is a time for that. But that's not what was happening in Corinth. That's not what was going on. It wasn't that one group was denying the Trinity and the other one was upholding the Orthodox Trinity. That's not what was happening. It was I like this person and you like that person. There's different. Is there a time and place to separate from people? Yes. Is there also a time and place to separate from people who are separating people? Yes. Okay, that's what Romans 16, 17 says. There's a time and a place for that. So don't hear this and think, well, the dude who came in just told us all we need to get along no matter what. It's not what I'm saying. It's not what the Bible says. The Bible is clear that you do need to work to end disunity in our local church if you're contributing to it in any form. And everyone is. Everybody is to some level or another. If you look at Ephesians 4, none of us are guiltless. We all contribute to it. But what we need to do is fight like James 4 says. Now, back in our text, Paul talks about the differences that came about than he was afraid would come about if he baptized different groups of people and disregarded the others. Okay. He says, my time in Corinth was about one thing. My time in Corinth was about uniting this group, but ultimately it was in preaching the gospel. 
That really is the solution to disunity. As we just looked at the negative in point number two, I want us to focus on the positive real quick on point number three, and it's this. I want you to keep your relationships focused on the gospel. Keep your relationships focused on the gospel. Because think about this. If your relationships are focused on the gospel, you're going to have a hard time leaving a church. That is unless your church has gone away from that or you've gone away from that. If your relationships are focused on the gospel, it's a lot harder to break over selfish things like we talked about in point two. It's a lot harder to do that if we're not focused or if we are focused on the gospel. Once you look at this passage, it's so clear early in Ephesians 4. It's an amazing truth because what it says is you don't have to come up with something to gather people around so that you can be united. You guys have group chats. I have group chats. I have one group chat. All it talks about is sports. That's it. Ever. Like ever. It's like reserved. Don't talk about anything other than sports here. And it's awesome. And it just live. It's for pastors. And it's just, it's total. And all we talk about is sports. Okay. When we want to talk serious things, we text each other in other way, but like, that's it, right? It is a holy group chat in a sense. Only used for one thing. Um, but to keep that group going, we have to like, keep talking about sports and stay united with that group and stuff, right? You know, with the people at your church, you don't have to come up with something to unite around. You already have it. Ephesians 4 says that we should be eager to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. Maintain the unity of the spirit. Like the assumption is, okay, we already have it. You're a Christian. I'm a Christian. Spirit's in me. Spirit's in you. Okay. If that's true, we need to be eager to maintain that. There's one body and one spirit. You might be thinking, whoa, whoa, whoa. Didn't you talk about like different local church bodies? Different context. He's talking about the church universal here. There is one body, okay? It says one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all, which is why our church is not making something new that we're asking you to join along with. Our church is getting on the truth that Jesus already set up. We're, we are a part of the church, universal. We're not making something new up that we're saying, hey, you guys should all be a part of this thing. That's called a cult, okay? It's called a cult. Making your own thing up and saying, hey, everybody should be a part of this group. That's not what our church is. Our church is being united with the whole of Christendom who believes in Orthodox Christianity, the truth. I don't mean Eastern Orthodox. I just mean the truth of Christianity, and we are united with every church there is that is united with the same thing. Because we didn't make these things up. We are just coming alongside them. Right? Keep your relationships focused on the gospel. You don't have to come up with something new. Which is why I bet a lot of your best friends here in the bridge don't like anything that you like. You, have that, you guys have Christian friends like that? You have like no similar interests, but like you love them because they love Christ. They're not like you at all. They don't, they don't like Spikeball. They they. they Sorry, I saw James nodding. So I'm like, what is James like? Golf? Yeah, we golf. Yeah, that's good. Um, we're united on that. Um, we'd be united anyway, James. It's okay. Um, we were in the same Awana group growing up. Yeah, that's right. Throwback. Anyway. But you don't have to come up with something like that. Right? Me and James, we go way back. But me and you, we don't have to go way back. But if you're in Christ, we have something in common. We have the most important thing in common. That's why a lot of your friends that are in Christ, they don't like anything like you. We went over to the Snyder's house the other day and we're like, wow, these people are cool. 
why do they hang out with us? Have you ever had that thought? They're so cool. Don't let it go to your head, Eric. Um, but they're so cool. And I'm like, why, why do we get invited over here, man? This place is, this is crazy, man. They're so nice. This is cool. This is awesome, right? It felt all cool. It was good to be included, right? If you haven't invited over to his house now, and they feel bad for yourself. Um, no. <laughs> Just kidding. But yeah, there, there's not like a big thing that we met and there's something that we have in common, like uh, what we like to do. We're, we have something in common because we're in Christ together. That's, that's what bonds us together, which should encourage you if you feel like this is the first group that you've ever really been a part of. Just take this encouragement that as long as you stay connected to a biblical church, you will always have people who are united with you. That is an awesome thing. As long as we're focusing on that. Another verse for you, Philippians 1, 27 talks about how if we're united, it builds our momentum as a church to reach the lost. Philippians 1, 27 says, only let your manner of life, yours, your manner of life, think about that. I want my manner of life to be worthy of the gospel so that whether Paul comes or he's absent, that I may hear of you standing firm in one spirit with one mind, same idea, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. That's why if your relationships are focused on the gospel, that's what you're going to do. Like you're going to do, I don't want to use the word gospel as an adjective, but you'll do gospel things, right? What are gospel things? Like you'll do things that pertain to the gospel. That's why a lot of you go to evangelism nights. I've heard about those. Those are awesome. Why do you do those? Do you do those just to hang out? Well, maybe you do, but just work with me on this. Let's pretend... You don't, right? Let's say you go because you want to share the gospel. Great. I would assume that's most of you. Okay. That's what you're united for. You're doing something pertaining to the gospel. You come to church. You sit in main service with maybe some people next to you that you never met, right? Why are you there? Well, because we're doing a, a gospel type thing together. Be strategic about this. How can you use your relationships to further the gospel in the world? That's one of the best ways to win lost people to Christ is by using your friends, using a group, not just yourself. You're not solo in this. You've got others in your church. Romans 15 talks about how it'd be so great. Romans 15 is not on the screen. Romans 15, 5 says this. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus, that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. Why do we ultimately do this? Well, for the glory of God. God has some side benefits to unity, certainly. Psalm 133.1 says, it's good and it's pleasant to dwell in unity. Some of you are united about a lot of things. One of the things you might be united about is you study together. You guys ever go on study dates together? I'm not talking about you people who want to get married. I'm talking about you know, just your friends, right? I see a lot of you. You go to CBI, and I'm like, dude, all these bridge students at the CBI, it's crazy. Um, you don't do much studying, do you? Do you? Let's just be honest, okay? Don't give me that. I know you're not studying. Danny can pull all your uh, internet history in the CBI lounge, so he tell you you're not studying. You're watching YouTube videos. <laughs> yeah, that man has a level of sovereignty that a lot of people um, don't. He's a level, not complete, but you know what I mean. Um, but yeah, you study together, right? And it's like, you're not really studying all the time. Um, have you ever been that one friend 
who doesn't have any work to do where everybody else has work to do? Have this ever happened to you? It's happened to me one time. And it's not very fun because I try to engage in conversations and they're like, shut up. Like, I'm working. Just stop. Don't talk to me right now. Okay? Um, or sometimes, this happens probably more often, I'm the one who wants to do the work. And then they're all just like, blah, 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 blah. It's like, then I'm the one that says, shut up. Like, don't, stop talking. Like, I, I, sorry, I need to do the work. And then I put my headphones on and I look like a jerk, right? Um, I don't want to do that. But when you're studying in groups, maybe you've been that person who is the distraction, or maybe you hang out with people who are the distractions to the studying. You know what's the best thing to do if you want to get the most studying done? Study together and actually study, right? You've seen this happen. Those of you who go away to college, you know what it's like to go to the library. You know, it's like, I'm not, nope, we're not doing anything other than studying. We're going to get it done right now. We're going to get this project done. We're going to get this paper done. That works if the people around you are studying. But the problem is sometimes we can be a distraction to the people around us if our focus is not in the right place. Same thing's true with focusing on the gospel. I certainly don't want to be the person that's distracting other people in my life from focusing on the gospel. I want to be one of those people who's coming right alongside them, working side by side for the gospel. I hope you do too. And even if this sermon is not a diagnostic, if it's a preventative, I want us to think through it and, and apply it as best we can. So we're going to have some small group questions in a minute, but let me pray real quick before we break up for God to help us apply this. So let's pray. God, we're thankful for how good you've been to us. We're thankful for the bond of unity that we have in your son, Jesus. We pray that those of us who don't know Jesus, I pray that we would come to this united group and we'd see what we're missing and see what we're lacking and, and turn with our whole hearts to you in repentance and faith that we trust you with our whole hearts and that you would forgive us of our sin. Let's pray for the rest of us who do know you and we are walking with you and we want to walk closer with you. Pray that we would heed the warnings of this text to not cause disunity by our selfishness and further that we would be the people that are uniting others. Pray that you'd help us do that. Pray that these small group questions would aid us further as we keep thinking deep thoughts about what it means to follow you. So please help us with that. We know um, this is all for your glory. We want to be living in harmony for the glory of God. We believe that. So we pray that you would accomplish that in us tonight. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.